0: Episode 1 of the Giants of the Faith podcast. My name is Robert Daniels, and I'm the host of this show. This is the podcast where we focus on individuals from the age of the church who have lived out their faith in a unique or interesting way. These are people who are giants in the history of Christendom, and each has earned a spot in my personal Christian Hall of Fame. Well, without further ado, let's dive headlong into today's subject the renowned journalist, apologist, debater, author, theologian, and wit, G.K. Chesterton. Gilbert Keith, G.K. Chesterton, was born May 24, 1874, in Kensington, England, to parents Edward and Marie Louise. The Chesterton men had a history of being real estate agents. His father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all in the business. As such, G.K. lived a modest but comfortable life as a child, with loving parents and one younger brother, Cecil. In Chesterton's own words, I was born of respectable but honest parents. That is, in a world where the word respectability was not yet exclusively a term of abuse, but retained some dim philological connection with the idea of being respected. G.K.'s childhood was filled with stories. He loved reading fairy tales and novels. He loved writing little stories. He loved play-acting stories with his brother in the back garden and he loved to listen to his father Edward's tales. One particular favorite of his father's was The Wonderful Story of Dunder Van Hayden, which was about a scholarly father whose work was interrupted by the constant noise and shrieking of his seven daughters, so much so that his head popped off and floated away. The elder Chesterton published and illustrated his wonderful story, and that served as a great inspiration to G.K. and his future endeavors. Chesterton was enrolled in Coley Court School for boys at age 12. He was an indifferent student, known more for his daydreaming than his studiousness, though he did begin writing his own pose and poetry, even winning some awards for his work at school. He also picked up illustration, much like his father had done, while he was at school, and after completing his years there, he enrolled at the Slade School to study art. He did not finish his degree, but instead began working as a freelance journalist covering literature and the arts. In 1896, Chesterton accompanied his friend Lucian Oldershaw on a social visit to a young Miss Ethel blog. While there, Chesterton met and instantly fell in love with Ethel's younger sister, Frances. Chesterton began to pursue her, and the two were married in 1901, after Chesterton's career was going and his finances were a little more secure. Frances was Chesterton's true love, and the two were devoted to each other for the rest of their lives. She played a large role in Chesterton's turn toward faith, as well as editing and assisting him with his writing. Almost immediately, Chesterton began to have success writing. He contributed to many periodicals, and he published at least two books of verse by the time that he and Frances married. His opposition to the Boer War and the notoriety that brought led him to being featured regularly in the paper The Daily News. Chesterton's wit and wide range made him a favorite of readers. He published several novels, including The Napoleon of Notting Hill and The Club of Queer Trades. Now, physically, Chesterton was an interesting character. He was a big guy, and at his full growth, he reached 6 feet 4 inches, and he topped 300 pounds. He dressed in unusual clothing, often wearing a very wide-brimmed hat, Carrying a walking stick, and donning a large, flowy cloak. His size was a source of ridicule for cartoonists of the day, but G.K. didn't take the criticisms too seriously, as he was always ready to laugh at himself. Once, when a chauffeur advised that he exit a car sideways because of his immense girth, Chesterton replied, I have no sideways. G.K. did not grow up in a very religious home. His family did occasionally attend church. But their faith was not particularly personal, and his father could be considered somewhat of a universalist. That began to change for Chesterton when he married Frances. She had a deep and abiding faith, and he credited her for bringing him to know the Lord. By 1905, Chesterton's faith was so certain that he even became a lay preacher at their local church. 1905 also saw the publication of Heretics, one of Chesterton's most important and impactful works. In it, he addresses directly many of the leading modern intellectuals and atheists of his day, like H.G. Wells, George Bernard Shaw, Joseph McCabe, and the like. He argues against their positions individually, but also against the general, more universal concepts of humanism, eugenics, social Darwinism, and others. Throughout his life, he would go on to hold public debates against many of these men. Three years later, in 1908, Chesterton published a companion book to heretics, Orthodoxy. Orthodoxy was Chesterton's response to critics who said that heretics hadn't gone far enough to lay out a positive case for his faith. So in Orthodoxy, Chesterton wrote about how he had come to faith in Christ, and the result is one of the greatest works of Christian apologetics in the modern age. Chesterton's trademark wit and phraseology shine through, but they don't overshadow the subject matter. If you haven't read Orthodoxy, definitely want to check it out. Rather than run a defense for a particular strain or denomination of Christianity, Chesterton set out to defend its core tenets. He wrote in the introduction, These essays are concerned only to discuss the actual fact that the central Christian theology, sufficiently summarized in the Apostles' Creed, is the best root of energy and sound ethics. When the word Orthodoxy is used here, It means the apostles creed as understood by everybody calling himself christian i have been forced by mere space to confine myself to what i have got from this creed the apostles creed contains the core concepts of the faith that all true believers can agree on the father son and holy spirit the virgin birth the resurrection and the final judgment the apostles creed is a timeless thing And the timeless truths are exactly the ones that Chesterton lauded and defended throughout his life. Orthodoxy doesn't exist in a certain church, but it comes from the scriptures as captured in the truths held by the Christians since the earliest days. Chesterton made it clear that he believed the story of Christ, and he believed in the Bible, and it wasn't just a national or a cultural thing for him. And to people who asked why it ought to be believed, he responded, In answer to the historical query of why it was accepted and is accepted, I answer for millions of others in my reply, because it fits the lock, because it is like life. It is one among many stories, only it happens to be a true story. It is one among many philosophies, only it happens to be the truth. Chesterton knew that Christianity held the key to life. He believed it and he sought to prove it to others. But a common complaint is that the Christian life is too restrictive. It's just a set of rules, and there's too much thou shalt not, and not enough thou shall. To those that decried the restrictiveness of the Christian faith, he wrote, The truth is, of course, that the curtness of the Ten Commandments is an evidence not of the gloom and narrowness of a religion, but, on the contrary, of its liberality and humanity. It is shorter to state the things forbidden than the things permitted, precisely because most things are permitted and only a few things are forbidden. He's reminding us that freedom in Christ is freedom from sin. All good things are permitted. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. G.K. Chesterton was a true conservative, but not in the modern political sense. He defended beauty, both the beauty of the common and the created. He wanted the world to hold on to or at least give weight to, the ideas of our predecessors. Truth is truth in Chesterton's world, and just because someone is alive at a later date does not make him superior to those that have gone before or give him license to throw out what men have held dear for ages. Chesterton was a true believer in tradition. Tradition means giving votes to the most obscure of all classes, he wrote, our ancestors. It is the democracy of the dead, Tradition refuses to submit to the small and arrogant oligarchy of those who merely happen to be walking about, and he fought the good fight against the leftists of his day, men who were prepared to throw out all that went before to reestablish right and wrong in a modern, humanist, socialist fashion, and rebuild the world in their own image. These are men like George Bernard Shaw, the author and playwright, and incidentally, Chesterton's close personal friend. They believe themselves to be the inheritors of Nietzsche's Superman. These supposed supermen of the modern age were pilloried by Chesterton. It's not their politics, necessarily, that Chesterton despised, although he did, but it was their arrogant humanism. He wrote, I know of men who believe in themselves more colossally than Napoleon and Caesar. I know where flames the fixed star of certainty and success. I can guide you to the thrones of the supermen, the men who really believe in themselves, are all in the lunatic asylums. It's noteworthy that Chesterton had the ability to disagree with someone, and yet remain civil and even friendly with them. Men like George Bernard Shaw, H.G. Wells, and Bertrand Russell, with whom he had little in common politically or religiously, nonetheless were friends with G.K. at some level. He had the ability to separate the man from the idea, And that is something that I think we could use a little more of today. You get a sense when reading Chesterton that his words, though often biting, are always intended in a friendly way, that he always has the best of wishes for the reader or the person he's refuting at heart, rather than just holding a desire to destroy his opponent. By 1922, Chesterton and his wife Frances were ready to leave the Church of England and convert or return to the Roman Catholic Church. In 1926, he published an essay, Why I Am a Catholic, in which he lays out his reasons for joining the Church, the most simple of which being, because it is true, and likewise, that it is a guardian of the truth. While this might disappoint some Protestants, it does not diminish the value of Chesterton's works in my eyes. Chesterton continued writing, including his influential book, The Everlasting Man, which loosely shows Western civilization's journey of Christian faith. Many read and were impacted by The Everlasting Man, including men like C.S. Lewis, who later credited The Everlasting Man with contributing to his conversion, and he called it the best popular defense of the full Christian position. Chesterton died of heart failure on June 14, 1936. He was 62 years old. Pope Pius XI gave him the title Defender of the Faith, which both his Catholic and Protestant admirers probably agree with. Chesterton continues to be read today, and his influence remains. Sometimes his style can be confusing. It's often helpful to read and reread to get a full understanding of what he's writing. But he often wrote of things timeless, which means there's no expiration date on the value of his works. So I really encourage you to seek out and read some Chesterton for yourself. Well, that ends this first episode of Giants of the Faith. I thank you for listening and encourage you to send any feedback you have to podcast at giantsofthefaith.com. Until next time, God bless.